0: Let's turn in our Bibles this morning to the book of Romans. We're going to be in chapter 3, covering verses 21 to 26. I titled this morning's message, The Righteousness of God Revealed. I've been sharing with you these two key verses to the book of Romans. I want to read them to you again this morning. It's Romans chapter 1, verse 16. Paul wrote, for I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes, for the Jew first and also for the Greek. Verse 17, for in it, speaking of the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith as it is written, the just shall live by faith." Last week, we closed out what we might call the first section of Romans. We finished in chapter 3 in in verse 20. And what we saw there was that after chapter 1 and chapter 2, and halfway into chapter 3, we, we read in verse 19, now we know that whatever the law says, it says to those who are under the law that every mouth may be stopped. And all of the world may become guilty before God. That's Paul concluding this first section. Let me ask you a question. When was your mouth stopped? How many excuses and how many things did you say to God? Or to somebody maybe that was sharing the Gospel to you? your reasoning, your rationale, you're trying, to, you know, you're trying to skate out of what you know maybe to be true, but you don't want it. We have these intellectual debates with God. That every mouth may be stopped. All the crutches removed. You see, your mouth needed to be stopped before you'd say yes to Jesus Christ. And that all the world would become guilty before God. We all had to come to that place where we realized our need for a Savior. I'm lost. I'm in need of a Savior. I need forgiveness of sins. And when we come to that place in humility before God, then God reaches out to us in his love, his mercy, his compassion, and he saves us. It says in verse 20, and we finished with this verse last week, therefore, by the deeds of the law, no flesh will be justified in his sight, for by the law is the knowledge of sin the law was given. That we might see our sinfulness for how great it is. It made our sin even more sinful when the law came. And it just pointed out our sin and our inability to be able to keep it. And no one will ever be justified or made right in the eyes of God By the law, by our works, by our deeds, by our good works, by what we think we can give to God, no one will be able to stand before God and say, look what I've done for you. It's why you owe me. Paul wanted to set this straight so that as we get into this next section of Romans, we will be completely convinced that we were lost in our sin apart from Christ. That we had no capacity to get right with God other than for Him to make us right. Let's read our text this morning. Chapter 3, verse 21. But now the righteousness of God apart from the law is revealed being witnessed by the law and the prophets, even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ to all and on all who believe. For there is no difference. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, being justified freely by His grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God set forth, As a propitiation by his blood through faith to demonstrate his righteousness, because in his forbearance, God had passed over the sins that were previously committed, to demonstrate at the present time his righteousness that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. That's a lot. Now I know why as I'm studying through the book of Romans, why there are some that have written commentaries you know, that are 28 volumes long. Because we could spend quite a few weeks in what I just read. And as a matter of fact, we're not really going to get in-depth into all these verses because this morning it's communion time for us as a church. And I want to really focus upon out of this text what is going to set the stage for our partaking of communion this morning. I told you in the beginning as we started this book that I was going to seek to define a lot of these what we call big words. There's a lot of big words in the Bible. And a lot of these big words we get them memorized because we read them, but a lot of times we really can't define them. We wouldn't even really be able to tell you what they mean. And it's real important when it comes to God's Word that we know what it says. That we know why we're saved. That when you communicate the Gospel with somebody, that you're communicating it accurately to them. And all of that is found in what we're entering into in this second section, the Gospel of Jesus Christ. This next section that we could put under a heading of justification by faith is a huge subject. There's a lot that could be said. But justification, we might say, is the acquittal. Remember, we ended last week on the title of last message, the final verdict. That courtroom scene. The whole world standing guilty before God. No one can escape. And now we have the good news that we're getting into. This next section, it's that acquittal And actually, justification, just the word itself, is actually only found three times in the New Testament. It's found in Romans 4.25 and 5.16 and 5.18. And it means this. It means to justify somebody. It's the act of pronouncing someone righteous. Remember that what we're looking at today is the righteousness of God that is found in the Gospel that is revealed to us in the Gospel. This righteousness of God. We have no righteousness of our own. There's none, not enough good in us to be able to stand before a holy God. And we need His righteousness given to us. We need an acquittal. It's the act of pronouncing someone righteous. It's defined as the act of God declaring a man free from his guilt and now made acceptable in the eyes of God. He puts us in right standing with Him. He does it. It's His righteousness. We spent quite a few weeks looking at a lot of ugly words in those first two and a half chapters. One of those words or words was indignation and wrath, ungodliness, unrighteousness, uncleanness, vile passions, tribulation and anguish and the righteous judgment of God. Those are just some of the ugly words that we found in those first two and a half chapters. But now as we enter into this next section, we're going to see words like righteousness, faith, justified, grace, redemption, propitiation. These are all words for us as Christians that we go, praise the Lord. But do we know what they mean? Do we have a, a, an understanding of what these words mean to us? How they apply to us? In the first eight chapters of Romans, we have three truths that are revealed in these eight chapters. One of them I've already read. It's in one seventeen, where the righteousness of God is revealed in the Gospel. In verse 18 of chapter 1, we're told that the wrath of God has already been revealed from heaven. It was revealed from heaven when Jesus Christ hung on that cross and He was brutalized for the sins of the world. The wrath of God from heaven was displayed for the world to see. It was revealed from heaven. The third revelation that we see in these first eight chapters is that God's glory is also revealed in us. That the very glory of God, by the sheer fact that you became a child of God, and He came and made His residence within you by His Holy Spirit, He starts this work in you and there's this process of this glorification, this world seeing the glory of God in you, but that full manifestation of God's glory is not gonna be realized until you're in your new body. You're in heaven with the Lord. And you're gonna, at that point, be able to experience the full glory of God taking and making you this full, this new creation, new body, soul, and spirit, everything. God wants us to know these things. Paul wanted to explain these things as he wrote this letter to the believers there at Rome. This word revealed that we see in Scripture, it's a Greek word that means to uncover something. You know, you go out and you, uh, you dig something up. You uncover something. It means to lay something open that's been covered up. It's to disclose something that at one time it was unknown. And so there's many New Testament truths that were not completely understood or known in the Old Testament, but they have been unveiled in the New Testament. These are the truths that we're seeing here in Romans. But before we can understand the righteousness of God, that's revealed in the Gospel, we need to understand the demands of God's righteousness under the law in the Old Testament. It's significant for us to understand that. You see, the Old Testament, when it came to righteousness, it had to do with how you behaved. And in the New Testament, the righteousness that has been revealed to us in the Gospel has to do, and it comes to us by way of what? Believing. In the Old Testament, it was how you behaved. In the New Testament, it's you believing in the truth of the Gospel. That we have the righteousness of God in us. If you look back into the Old Testament, It started there in the book of Genesis in chapter 3, verse 21. When Adam and Eve fell in the garden, and an animal had to be killed to make the coats of skin that were worn by Adam and Eve. There had to be the shedding of blood. The sacrifice. All the way to the very first book of the Bible. And then we move on to Abel who brought the firstlings of his flock for an offering to, the God, to God. It wasn't the, from the ground. It was the firstlings of his flock that he brought a sacrifice to God that was acceptable. We have the offering of Isaac on the altar by his father Abraham as he put his son on that altar to sacrifice him, believing that God would raise him from the dead. The Passover lamb that was slain during the Exodus. And that blood that was smeared on the doorposts of each home. The Levitical sacrificial system that God had instituted with His people in Leviticus. That whole sacrificial system was all pointing to what was going to come in the New Testament and found in Jesus Christ. The brazen serpent on the pole in the wilderness, when the children of Israel wandered in that wilderness, and they were told to look on the brazen ser- uh, serpent that hung on that pole. A type of Christ. If you want to live, then you need to look to that. The slain lamb that we read about in Isaiah 53, verse 6 and 7. You see, all of these things were pointing forward. Pointing forward to the cross. Pointing forward to what we're going to partake of today. The communion table. In remembrance of what Christ has done for us. We read in Hebrews 8-7, it says, for if the first covenant, speaking about the Old Testament, the Old Covenant, if the first covenant had been faultless, then no place would have been sought for the second speaking about the new testament or the new covenant. And so it's always been in God's plan to bring about the redemption for mankind in another way. The law was instituted to show man his sinfulness, to bring him to that place where his mouth would be stopped, where he would call out to God and receive by grace that forgiveness that he offers at the cross. In the New Testament, or the New Covenant, it starts with the sacrifice of the last Lamb ever to be slain. And that Lamb was Jesus Christ. The last Lamb to be slain. The Lamb that was sufficient to pay the price for all of man's sins. Once and for all. No more sacrificing of animals. His blood was sufficient. The new covenant is the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 15.3, for I delivered to you first of all that which I also received, talking about the Gospel, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures uh, that's the gospel message he died for man's sin he was buried and he and he rose again in hebrews chapter 2 verse 14 we read in as much then as the children have partaken of flesh and blood he himself likewise shared in the same that through death speaking about jesus death through death might destroy Satan who had the power of death that is the devil. We have victory, Christians. Not only over sin, but we have victory over the grave. We have victory over Satan himself because of Christ. And this is all good news to us. This is what we, what we bask in every time we get in and we read these Scriptures. We say, man, Lord, thank You. So how is this righteousness revealed in the Gospel? How many of you have heard the word vicarious? And could you explain it? How many of you have heard the word atonement? Could you explain that? Propitiation. took me a while to figure out how to say it. Let alone define it. Propitiation. You think God just likes playing with our heads with these big words? He just wants us to understand it. Reconciliation. And redemption. Those are five big words, but five very important words. Jesus' death was vicarious. Which means that, and I would write these down if you don't know what they mean, that Jesus was our substitute. He was the one who took our place at the cross. It should have been me, but He died for me. It should have been you, but he died for you. He took our place on the cross. He was our substitute. That's what Jesus did for those who believe. And we and we and we can say we just all we can say is thank you, Lord. Isaiah fifty three, six, all we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way. And the Lord has laid on Jesus the iniquity of us all. Isaiah 53. Hebrews 9.22 And according to the law, almost all things are purified with blood. And without shedding of blood, there is no remission of sin. You see, it goes all the way back to Genesis. And then it finishes up in the shed blood of Jesus Christ at the cross, the last Lamb. Without the shedding of blood, none of us would have any hope. His holy blood was sufficient to satisfy the wrath of God against us. Romans 5.8 tells us that God demonstrated His own love towards us and why we were still Sinners. Christ died for us. Incredible love. Uh, Just think of that. While we were yet in our sin, as we were practicing our sin, He hung on that cross to pay for it. It was this sacrificial death that fulfilled this next word the principle of atonement. It was His sacrificial death on the cross that brought about atonement for you and I. Jesus' death on the cross is our atonement. What does the word atonement mean? What is He saying to us in that? Uh, Well, atonement means that He's our covering. The word is also translated... Reconciliation. It speaks about that mercy seat. Remember the Ark of the Covenant that was behind the veil and the Holy Holies within the temple. And that lid that was on top of the Ark of the Covenant that had the angels on it, all overlaid and gold. It was called the Mercy Seat. It was the covering that covered that Ark of the Covenant. It's where the presence of God dwelt. It's where the priest could only go behind the veil once a year to make atonement for the sins of the people. And he could never go behind that veil unless he had blood. If he had no blood entering in behind the veil, he would have been struck down dead. It was the only way that the priest and only the high priest could do this would be to enter behind that veil with blood. Atonement. The mercy seat. The covering. In Romans 5.11, it tells us and not only that, but we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ through whom we have received the reconciliation or the atonement. Some translations read. In the Old Testament, the animal sacrifice was just a temporary covering for man's sin. The priest would make atonement for individual sins of the people. Uh, He also had the ability to take and, and make national atonement for the sins of the whole nation. The priest could do that. It was on the Day of Atonement when he would go into that holies of holies. The priest would take the sins of Israel. And and, and he would take and he'd place his hands on this sacrificial animal and this animal would be slain. And it would be slain as a substitute. There it is again, that picture. Jesus Christ is our substitute. It was a temporary covering for man's sin. The people would stand there and rejoice and just be lifting up voices to God as the priest would lay the sins on that scapegoat and the people would chase it down that dirt road until it went out of the city and they'd be just rejoicing. And gone for another year. See you back here next year. When the priest would go in again year after year after year, it was a temporary Atonement for the sins of the people. But in Christ Jesus, New Testament Christians, we have more than a temporary covering. Uh, He actually has removed the guilt and the sin that we had against us. Our sins have been forgiven. They're completely removed. Do you live in that understanding as a Christian? That all of your past sin has been removed? That He cast it into the depths of the sea? Your sin I will remember no more? Do you live in that reality as a Christian? Or do you just keep drudging up the past sins? and living in that. When He says, I have forgiven you of all of them. How about your sin today? The sin you'll commit today. You're imperfect like I am. His shed blood continues to cleanse you from all unrighteous. Even today's sin. How about your future sin? He continues to cleanse you even from your future sin. You see, this is a complete work. This is a one-time act of God to take all of your sin and to make you clean. You say, well, I sin. I fail. How can I be clean? We need to keep our hearts right, but His shed blood continues to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. We just need to keep this vessel clean before the Lord so that we have that open communication with Him and that we don't have any blockage between us and God. Hebrews chapter 10, you can turn there if you'd like. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 4. It tells us, For it is not possible that the blood of bulls and goats can take away sin. Therefore, when Jesus came into the world, Jesus said, sacrifice and offering you do not desire. This is Jesus speaking with His Father. But a body you have prepared for Me. Jesus is speaking to His Father. A body you have prepared for Me. In burnt offerings and sacrifices for sin, Jesus says to His Father, you have no pleasure. Then I said, behold, I have come in the volume of the book. It is written of me, Jesus says, it is written of me to do your will, O God, previously saying, sacrifice and offering, burnt offerings, and offerings for sin you did not desire, nor had pleasure in them, which are offered according to the law. Then He said, Behold, I have come to do Your will, O God. And then it tells us this. He takes away the first, speaking about the old covenant, that He may establish the second, the new covenant. By that that will we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once and for all a complete work the old done away the new has been instituted here even in this communion that we're partaking of today this is one of those times as a church you might want to say amen say <laughs> so, i mean it it's like it really is exciting And I know that I'm really getting into some real technical things here, but it's not meant to be so theological. It's meant to stir our hearts with excitement for what Christ has done. Jesus' death was an act of propitiation. Say that word. Propitiation. Which actually means it was an appeasement. You see, propitiation signifies the turning away of God's wrath by the giving of a sacrifice. The turning away of God's wrath from you and I by the giving of a sacrifice. Jesus' death on the cross was an act of propitiation for our sins. Christ's sacrifice, it actually satisfied God. It satisfied His holy law. That law condemned man. It satisfied that. God's justice was satisfied in His death. In other words, the Father saw His Son on that cross. And all the sins of the world were placed upon Him. And it satisfied the law. It satisfied what the Father needed to do to the Son so that we could live. Jesus' death was an act of propitiation. We read already in Chapter 1, verse 18, for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men. And here we are seeing the wrath of God satisfied. That was the other revelation that Paul brought out in the New Testament. The wrath of God being satisfied. That's what the Gospel screams to you and I. We no longer stand under His wrath like we used to be. The wrath of God was revealed at that cross as Jesus hung there. His death. It saves us from sin. It saves us from death. And it saves us from wrath. Those are the three things. Sin death, and wrath. That's what we've been saved from. Remember back in chapter 2, verse 5, Paul wrote, but in accordance with your hardness and your impenitent heart, you are treasuring up for yourself wrath in the day of wrath and the revelation of the righteous judgment of God. In other words, Paul is saying to those Gentiles and even to those Jews, he's saying if you remain in your state, you're treasuring up wrath for the day of wrath. You see, a holy God must judge sin. He has to. There is is no other choice. It would be outside His very character to turn away from and say, I, 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 I can't do that. He must judge man's sin. In Revelation 19.15, at the second coming of Jesus Christ, we read, now out of the mouth of Jesus goes a sharp sword, that with it He should strike the nations, and He Himself will rule them with a rod of iron, he Himself treads the winepress of the fierceness and the wrath of Almighty God. It will be a time where God must judge sin at the end of the tribulation period, at the battle of Armageddon, at the second coming of Jesus Christ. 1 Thessalonians 1.10 tells us we are waiting for Jesus who delivers us from the wrath to come. We're all just in hope, confident expectation waiting for that day to come. And He's going to deliver us from the wrath to come. 1 John 2.2 tells us that Jesus Himself is our propitiation for our sins. There's that word. He is our propitiation for our sins and not for ours only, but also for for the whole world. He's made it available to all. God's not willing that anyone would perish, but that all would come to repentance. In 1 John 4.10, in this is love, not that we love God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. There's that big word again. In Hebrews 2.17, Therefore, in all things, Jesus had to be made like His brethren, that Jesus might be a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. He had to come and house Himself in a body of flesh and blood like yours and mine. Why? It's the only way that He could go to the cross. And to shed His blood for the sins of the world. And to be the propitiation for man's sin. He had to do what He did. There was no other way. And that's why when He went to that garden and prayed that prayer three times, He says, but Father, not My will be done, but Your will. He knew. And He went. The death of Jesus Christ also brought reconciliation. Another big word. That word actually speaks of the fact that we were once enemies of God. You might think to yourself, I, I never thought of myself as an enemy of God in the past. I didn't think of myself that way. But God says you're either for me or are against me. And by the fact that you didn't know Christ at some point in your life. You were really an enemy of God. But through reconciliation, that war ends. Do you remember that day when you gave your life to Christ? For all of those years, you battled. No, God. No, no, I don't want... No, no. And you you kept playing. And then that day, when you gave your life to Christ, the battle ended. No more fighting. Now I'm running to him instead of running away from him. Now I'm not warring against him. Now I'm not, you know, now God, we're right. I'm right with you. Reconciliation ends the war. It's that enmity between God and man that ceases, it's done. by this sacrifice of Jesus Christ, this enmity can be changed into one of peace and restored fellowship with God. Do you know what the Greek word is for communion? Koinonia. We get our word fellowship. We also get our word communion from that Greek word, Koinonia. When we gather around the communion table as a church, there's this unity and this oneness that we have between us that are believers because of what Christ has done for us. And we have this this fellowship with God in this communion that we can lift up our prayers and our worship and all this before the Lord in this place. And God says, I receive it. You're my child. There's no more battle between you and I. You're my child, and we have this fellowship with each other. Or at least we should. You see, if you're not here this morning and you're not born again and don't know Christ, then communion really, it's just a symbol on a table. If you know Christ, it means everything to you. Romans 5.10 For if we... For if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of His Son, much more having been reconciled, here's that word again, we shall be saved by His life. And not only that, but we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ through whom we have now received the reconciliation. Colossians 1.20 For it pleased the Father that in Jesus all the fullness should dwell. And by Jesus to reconcile all things to Himself by Him, whether things on earth or things in heaven, having made peace, there it is, having made peace through the blood of the cross, and you who were alienated and enemies in your mind and by wicked works, yet now He has reconciled. Do you see what He's done for you? That should create an amen in our hearts. Thank You, Lord. We have the cure, church, for man's sin problems. Those of you that know Him as Lord and Savior, you have the cure. You have the remedy for man's sin. And, and we have the ability to actually go out into this world and tell people they can be reconciled to God. You don't have to no longer be an enemy and fighting Him again. You can actually come into a personal relationship with a living God. He can forgive you of all of your sin. He did it in my life. And lastly there's another big word Christ's death and in his death we have redemption or another way we could put it we could say that we have been ransomed as Christians this word redemption is a word that signifies a releasing or a liberation from captivity it's a person that's been released as a slave. It's a person that uh, has been released from uh, from death itself, but to be released, there had to be a ransom payment. There had to be some payment for that ransom to take place. And so redemption is the payment of a price. But it's also the deliverance or the liberating of somebody that is held captive. Before Christ, you were held captive by your sin. You were were being led around by the dictates of this world. You had no hope, and you were without Christ. But that ransom was paid at the cross. And when you receive that redemption in your life, you're set free. If you're feeling bound up, (laughs) you're not hanging on to redemption. You've been set free. Sin no longer has a grasp on you. You're no longer shackled by it. the redemption that we've received has freed us from the penalty of the law. Galatians 3:13 Paul wrote this. He says Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law having become a curse for us. He became the curse for you and I when he hung there on that cross. And then Paul quotes from Deuteronomy 21-23 and he says this, Cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. He's speaking about Jesus Christ. He became the curse for us. He took our place. That redemption freed us from the penalty of the law. Redemption also uh, freed us from the law itself. Romans 6.14 tells us, for sin shall not have dominion over you, for you are not under the law, but under grace. Aren't you thankful? The Jews were still trying to hang on to it. They were trying to live in it. They were even telling these other Christians... You need to be certain they were still bound up in it. They needed to be set free themselves. Remember, Paul is writing to Jew and Gentile in this letter. The Gentiles have their own problems, but the Jews had theirs. And even though they had this religiosity to them, even though they were many trying to be obedient to the laws that God had given them. They saw themselves as God. They were still bound up. They needed to understand redemption. They needed to understand that they've been set free from the bondage of the law. Romans 7:4 says, Therefore, my brethren, you also have become dead to the law through the body of Christ. This is speaking to us as Christians. You have become dead to the law, Christians, through the body of Christ. You know what I could inject into that? Uh, We might not use the term law, but we put a lot of other things in its place. That somehow or another, we think That if I just do this and do that and do this and do that, somehow or another, God's more in love with me. And the fact of the matter is God loves you in spite of those things. His love doesn't change towards you and I based upon your performance. God doesn't say, I'm going to save you now I want you to perform. If you live in a performance mindset as a Christian, you're getting robbed. You'll do those things for the Lord out of a heart that is just thankful, Lord, after all You've done for me, what manner of living should I live in? I should give my life like a a living sacrifice unto You, which is holy and acceptable to You. And I'm doing it out of a response to what You've done for me. Redemption freezes from the power of sin over our life. We also read in Titus 2.13, looking for the blessed hope and glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave Himself for us that He might redeem us from every lawless deed and purify for Himself His own special people that are zealous of good works. That's what He wants us to be. 1 Peter 1.18, knowing that you were not redeemed with corruptible things like silver or gold from your aimless conduct received by traditions from your Father, but with the precious blood of Christ as a lamb without blemish and without spot. In other words, that ransom sacrifice, Jesus Christ, it required His blood. The precious blood of Jesus Christ. We hope you have enjoyed today's study. For more information on teachings, events, worship times, and location, please visit our website, ccfwinstonsalem.com. From Pastor Greg and all of us at Calvary Chapel Fellowship, thank you for listening and being part of our study through God's Word.